at the eleventh hour of the eleventh day of the eleventh month. We will remember them. The armistice, an agreement to end the fight of the First World War as a prelude to peace negotiations, began at 11am on the 11th of November, 1918, signalling the end of the conflict with a renewed hope that the world would never see its like again. Sadly, as we know, as time has gone on, new wars have reared their ugly heads and still do to this day. And today, as we remember the fallen, as we give thanks for their sacrifice, as well as the sacrifice of those who have served and survived, our hearts are filled with a mixture of thankfulness and sorrow, of gratitude which longs that wars would cease to the ends of the earth. And today, as we gather to remember, today, as we gather to give thanks, today, as we gather to pray for the peace on the earth, we do so with the words which Pastor Joanne has just read for us ringing in our ears. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them. And was raised again. So today as we gather as the people of God, to worship God together, we do so with thankfulness and gratitude in our hearts. Yet we do so, many of us recognising that it could have been all so different. You see, you'll see in front of us here a table that is prepared underneath um, we have the elements of communion. You see, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared the Passover meal for the last time with his nearest and dearest, with his disciples with whom he had journeyed day after day, city after city for the past three years, reclined at a table, six on his left and six on his right. He took the unleavened bread and he broke it, informing them that the bread represents his body, which would be broken for them. And in a similar fashion, he would take the cup and he lifted it aloft and went on to explain to them that this cup would represent a new covenant, a new promise between God and mankind, which would be made through the shedding of his blood. Jesus made no secret throughout his ministry as to the reason why he had come. Time and time again, he had told his disciples that he would lay down his life for them. But it was they that chose 
to disbelieve him and shrug off what he was telling them. Indeed, right from the beginning of his ministry, we read of John the Baptist who said in John chapter 1 and verse 29, Look, or the older translations say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And even before that, even before that, long before his physical arrival on earth, the prophet Isaiah foretold of his sacrifice. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. As Jesus gathered with his disciples in that upper room in Jerusalem that evening. As Jesus spoke the words about his own destiny. That which lay before him. He also spoke the words which foretold the laying of the foundations of the atonement. The atonement being that reconciling of God to man. The possibility of right relationship between the two once again. But why did that even need to happen? What had went so wrong that God himself would need to take flesh, take on flesh and dwell among us? What went so wrong that as he took on flesh and dwelt among us that he would be led as a lamb to the slaughter to restore a fractured relationship between a holy God and sinful man? See, to understand that better, we have to go right to the beginning of the story. Don't you hate it whenever you ask somebody could you explain that to me? And they say, we've got to go right back to the start. And you're like, oh, I better put my seatbelt on. Because we're going to be here a while. My promise is we're not going to be here too long. But to understand why the sacrifice needed to take place, we do have to go right back to the beginning of the story. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. The birds in the air, the fish in the sea, the sun, the moon and the stars, the animals which roamed on the earth, the wildlife and the shrubbery, the majestic trees and the roaring seas. Then he created man, giving him dominion over it all. And along with his helpmate, Eve, Adam stewarded the creation of God. Being given access to everything which he had created. Except the fruit of one tree which stood in the middle of the garden. We're also told that in the cool of the night, in those 
twilight hours where the sun is beginning to set and the cool is setting in that God himself walks with Adam and Eve as a friend walks with another. Yet not too long later, they, Adam and Eve, are expelled from the Garden of Eden, the paradise in which they had resided and God had created. So what happened? What happened? What could this mean? How did man go from being in the presence of God as a friend is in the presence of another to being cast out from his presence? How did this happen? If you've been around the church for a little while, you'll know that the answer is perhaps an obvious one. The answer is found in the presence of sin. As Adam and Eve are tempted by the devil in serpent form, they are told that they would not surely die if they ate the fruit from the forbidden tree. Curiosity and a desire to be God's equals get the better of them. And they eat it in direct violation of the command which God had given to them. And as a result, sin was allowed to enter the world. God, in his grace, allowing for a free choice to be made, for love and holiness does not force itself or himself upon anyone. But as a result of the violation, as a result of the breaking of the command, this perfect relationship was not broken but it was fractured and was now beyond human repair. You see, year after year, moving forward in the story, year after year, the Jewish people and religious leaders attempted to atone for their sins. Year after year, through the blood of bulls and goats, And indeed, once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, a room within the temple where the presence of God dwelt by his Spirit. And they entered in to make an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. After the blood sacrifice was offered, a goat was then released into the wilderness to symbolically carry away the sins of the people. And this scapegoat would never return to the people again. You see, year after year, the Day of of Atonement, known as Yom Kippur, would come and go in an attempt to appease the wrath of a holy God upon a sinful people. This was never the way that it was intended to be. But in their disobedience, it served as the consequence of the choice which our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose that day in the garden. And as we return to the meal that Jesus is sharing with 
his friends. As we return to that final meal, best known to us as the Last Supper. As he takes the bread and as he breaks it, holds aloft the cup and gives it a new meaning, he foretells of that which will happen within the next 24 hours. You see, year after year, the justice of God, the wrath of God was merely appeased. But it was not satisfied. And the cycle of sacrifice would continue year after year. And to it there would be no foreseeable end. For the atonement of sacrifices on Yom Kippur was limited. It was merely a stopgap until the next year. It was merely a symbolic occasion. For an atonement that was final, one would have to die. And that someone would be God himself. See, we believe that Jesus Christ, by his sufferings, by the shedding of his own blood and by his death on the cross has made a full atonement for all human sin. And that this atonement is the only ground for salvation and that it is sufficient for every individual of Adam's race. The atonement is graciously Efficacious for the salvation of those incapable of moral responsibility and for the children in innocency. In other words, those who have not come to an age of understanding and cannot accept this free gift for themselves. But it is efficacious for the salvation of those who reach the age of responsibility only when they repent and believe. That's a big word, isn't it? And basically, it means that it covers all. It covers all. It is enough. It is the only thing. Now, on a day where we speak and we remember, rightfully so, by the way, the sacrifice of valiant men and women who fought to bring about the freedom and liberties which we experience here today. We also choose, as the people of God, to remember the once-for-all sacrifice that was made and which has made possible the salvation, the reconciliation of all of those who would place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we said at the start, it's the wrong verse, but for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. There's a wee chorus that Gary, who's preaching in Lisburn today, would so often quote. It was penned by Isaac Watts, a great hymn writer of old. And the first couple of verses read, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain 
could give the guilty conscience peace, peace or wash away its stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Yet, this once for all sacrifice, this atonement of, for the sins of the world does not simply serve as a blanket which guarantees the salvation of every individual who has ever lived, is currently living, or will ever live. No, no, no. Because as we often remind ourselves here from this very pulpit, love does not force himself upon us. Love does not force us to follow him. For if Jesus forced us to follow him, he would cease to be loving. For love cannot be forced. But rather by his provenient grace, he seeks and he woos us to himself by his spirit. Granting to us the opportunity and the choice the choice to place our faith in him and to trust him for the salvation of our souls. To afford us the opportunity to come before him in repentance as we voluntarily, voluntarily turn away from our sins and turn toward him. He who is altogether lovely, seeking the forgiveness, his forgiveness, which he freely offers to all who would ask. To all who would ask. And therefore making possible reconciliation with God through the power of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in our hearts and bears witness to us that we are called and we are the children of God. And this repentance, this repentance is a personal thing. I'm so blessed to have grown up in a home where the love of God was not just talked about but that the love of God was shown and lived out and I know that that is not everybody's experience this morning and it's not an experience that is necessary for your salvation but I'm also thankful to have grown up in a house where I was told that I couldn't live off mommy and daddy's faith that I couldn't live off their repentant hearts, but that it needed to be a personal decision. And this repentance is a personal thing which affects each one of us this morning. So I want to ask the question, have you, have you turned to Christ in repentance and sought the forgiveness that he so freely offers.
If you have, the Lord bless you. If you haven't, the Lord bless you too. But know this. In return, he offers and grants to us life and life in all of its fullness. Not just in the life to come, but in the here and now. In return, he offers to us himself by his spirit as a guide, as a comforter, as an advocate, as a friend. In return, he offers us relationship with our creator and the blessed hope of life everlasting with him in eternity. He offers a change of heart, a heart change which leads to life change. Thanks be to God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. See the past. The past is gone. The new has come. The old way of living need be no more. The sins of the past are thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Never to be held against us ever again. And a message of reconciliation, of atonement and repentance to share with others. Good news for all of humanity. Good news for all of those who are far off from God. Good news for you and good news for me. You see, we believe the Spirit of God gives to all who will repent, the gracious help of penitence of heart and hope of mercy, that they may believe unto pardon and spiritual life. Repentance, which is a sincere and thorough change of mind in regard to sin, involving a sense of personal guilt and a voluntary turning away from sin, is demanded of all who have by act or purpose become sinners against God. We believe that all persons may fall from grace and apostatize, that it be turn their backs and walk away, because again, love does not force us to stay. And unless they repent of their sins, be hopelessly and eternally lost. But we believe that regenerate persons, those who have placed their trust in the Lord, need not return to sin, but may live in unbroken fellowship with God through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit who bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. You see, the atonement and the subsequent re Repentance of heart brings about right standing with God. 
Not because of anything that we have done, but simply because of what Christ has done and our faith in him as Lord and Saviour of our lives. Because of the once for all sacrifice which Christ made and our belief in its power and reality over sin, the scriptures tell us that we are justified before the Father, that we are given new life and that we are made capable of faith, love and obedience. And that we are adopted into the family of God, welcomed as sons and daughters of the Most High. This is good news this morning. The good news of the gospel. And therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So on a day when we remember the sacrifice that brave men and women made to secure the freedom and liberty which we experience in our country today, might we also take time this morning to ponder and take hold for ourselves of the freedom which Christ's once for all atoning sacrifice can bring. And as we gather around the table of grace this morning, which speaks of his atoning sacrifice, the only requirement for you to partake, the only requirement is the repentance of heart in response, which brings about our justification by which we are granted a full pardon of all guilt, complete release from the penalty of sins committed and are accepted as righteous, given right standing with God as we believe on Jesus Christ and receive him as Lord and Saviour of our lives.